Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Thank you all for coming out today, especially uh, those that are watching online or listening by podcast. We're glad that the Word of God, the message of the Word, can go out to any that have an ear to listen. And I want to also encourage those of you who uh, are interested in joining our church uh, by way of membership. We do have our Discover membership class today at 5 o'clock. And uh, you don't have to join. You're not obligated to join by attending the class, but it does give you an opportunity to find out a little bit more about why we do what we do, how we go about doing it, and how you can be an important part of the kingdom of God here through the work of Eastern Heights Baptist Church. We do have child care up through the fifth grade, so if you know someone that has need of that, tell them to come on, and we'll have that class at 5 o'clock today. Now, we are continuing in our unstoppable series, learning how, out of the book of Acts, that churches that could have been stopped many, many times overcame many obstacles along the way to keep going even to the place that we know church to be today. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to pick up with what's referred to as Paul's third missionary journey, right? And we're going to find out later that not only is he preaching in different cities, but he's also taking up money from the Gentiles to go back and give to the Jews. And so he's kind of in a hurry to get back to what's called Pentecost, all right? And there's two reasons why. Number one, just logistically, it's going to be a lot easier to disperse the funds that he's collected because everybody's all going to be together there in Jerusalem for Pentecost, right? But there's a more important reason, and it's because this money that has been taken up is Gentile money that's going to be given to the Jewish people. And so Paul understands that this is going to help close the divide that had been created over a period of time and had caused racism to be rampant between these two groups. And Paul understands that grace could be stopped in its tracks if both of these groups don't learn what grace is together. And believe it or not, money is one of the biggest ways to help close that divide. But more than that, it's grace. It's the grace of God. And that's what today's message is entitled, is unstoppable grace. So Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem. And he's going to be coming close to Ephesus, which you'll remember he'd spent about three years there. He dearly loved the people there. They loved him. But this time, like I said, he was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. So he didn't have time to go the 30 miles inland to meet with the leaders of the church. So he sent word ahead of time that he was coming close by and for them to come to him. And so we're going to pick up the story right there where these leaders of the church of Ephesus are going to come and meet with Paul for probably what will be their final time together. Verse 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Wonderful grace of God. No, they say that life is a race. So some people go at it with the mindset, well, you know what? I better pace myself so I can make it all the way to the end, right? Then others go, well, I'm not sure how much time I'm going to have, so I'm going to go at it like a wildcat. You know, I'm just going to live it to the fullest as quick as I can because I don't know when it might end. But the wise person has said it's not the amount of time you have, but rather it's what you do with the time that you are 
given. And so Paul says this. He says, you know what? I know what matters most. And so therefore, I'm going to give my best to it. So if you're taking notes, write this down. My race is all about God's grace. That wasn't the race that Paul first ran, though, when he was out persecuting Christians. You know what? But when he met Jesus, he became obsessed with this message of grace. Because see, as a persecutor of Christians, as a blasphemer of God, as one who deserved hell, when he found Jesus on that road to Damascus and he understood what grace really was, he could just never lose the wonder of it. And he could never quit talking about it. Ephesians 3.8, he says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Another version puts it this way. says, this is my life's work. Helping people understand and respond to the message. You know, that's been my life's work and that's been my race since the age of 17. And I want to finish strong. I really do. I want to tell as many people as I can about the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But just like Paul, it wasn't the race that I started out as a young 17-year-old minister. Like many of you, I grew up in a religious tradition that was more about keeping the rules than it was about knowing Jesus. So I spent the first part of my race giving out a lot of rules, giving out a lot of good advice, but not much good news. And so I'd see a lot of change in people. I would. I see people change, but I always wonder why it doesn't last. You know, kids come back from youth camp. Man, they're all fired up for Jesus. They're burning their CDs, you know, and stuff. And, you know, just witnessing to all their friends for about a whole week. And then it goes kaput. Nothing else to it. Back where it was right before they went to camp. And no adults, you don't get off the hook that easy. Okay? I watched adults too. Go two weeks of Revival. All fired up for Jesus, man. I mean, they're excited. They're, more, they're talking more positively about the church than they have in years. I mean, they are fired up for God. Guess what? For about two weeks. And then they go right back to where they were two weeks before the two-week revival. And so somewhere along the way, it kind of clicked for me, and I found God's grace in doing ministry. And that is this, that we are saved by the grace of God poured out on us through Jesus Christ and that alone. That's it, folks. So this is the message that separates Christianity from all the other religions because any religion can give you good advice about how to be a more moral person or about how to improve your life. But the unique message of the Christian faith, and don't miss it, is this. God saves us and blesses us not because of our goodness, but because of His goodness. And that's it. So many of us could say like, Paul, you know what? I'd rather lose my life sharing the message of God's grace than to keep my life doing anything else. Now look, I understand not all of us were called into ministry as a vocation. Not all of you were called to be a pastor in a church. And so we don't all run the race the same way. I get that. But you know what? Do you get that we're all running the same race? And that is what Paul said in verse 24. And that is telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. 
And so I believe if any of us here today, if we'll be able to give our best to what actually matters most, we're going to have to have three priorities in our life that we understand about this grace. And the first one is this. Unstoppable grace will always produce holiness. It'll always produce holiness in us. But this is where a lot of people, they kind of get confused about, they, th they think, you know, if we focus on grace, then we're actually saying that sin doesn't matter. And that's not true. Matter of fact, grace doesn't mean that we're going to get away from sin or get away with sin. Grace means that we have a new motivation to put away our sin. Look at what Paul says to the leaders, verse 21. He says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. Message doesn't change. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. See, grace doesn't just redeem us. It reforms us. That's what's life-changing. Jesus is the one that comes along and he produces a holiness in us that we could never produce in and of ourselves with our own deeds. It would be impossible. And that's why Paul could just never get over God's grace in his life. He tells Titus in chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And so what part of Christianity is different from all the other religions that have morals and they have these things that try to teach you about how to be a more moral person. Well, the difference in grace is that we have a whole new motive. We have a whole new motive. See, I'm not striving for holiness because I want to win God's favor. I'm striving for holiness because I already have God's favor. And there's a big difference. The woman that was caught in adultery and was taken to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, I have a lifestyle that's not sinful. And she could do that now because she understood what... Anyway, she goes and she looks at his bedroom and there on the wall, sure enough, there's all these scantily clad uh, girly posters up on the wall. Well, she didn't say anything. She just went on home and went about her thing. Well, the holidays rolled by, so he comes home for the holidays. And so what she does is she gives him a framed picture of Jesus for a Christmas present, right? And so when... Uh, she gets back, she, visits, she goes back a couple months later, she visits the dorm room again and all the girly pictures are gone and there's this framed picture of Jesus right over his bed, right? And so she says, honey, I, I see that your room looks a little different. And he knows what she's talking about. So he smiles and said, you know, mama, when, when Jesus comes into the room, some things just have to go, right? You know, as a youth pastor, I would always have teenagers constantly asking me what the Bible had to say about certain things. They're inquisitive. They won't learn. But they mainly wanted to know questions about were certain activities or certain behaviors, were they a sin or not? Like, you know, and it's always changing. It's always something new coming up. Is vaping a sin? You know, Brother Nicky, does the Bible say that vaping is a sin? No, you know, it doesn't really talk about vaping, you know, in specific kind of ways. There was a lot of things that were burned, you know, and a lot of smoke that went up and went into the nostrils of God. And some of them were pleasant and some of them weren't, you know. And we can get, you know, we get going down this road about what's right, what's wrong. You know what I never had a teenager ask me about? 
They never asked me, is it possible, Brother Nicky, for me to get too close to Jesus? Never been asked that question. So I know people are headed in the wrong direction when they, when they ask me the how close to questions. How close can I get to watching rated R movies before they're just too raunchy? Or how short can my skirt be before it's too short? Right? See, the law says, how close can I get to sin without sinning? But grace says, how close can I get to Jesus? And so grace has to be a lifestyle that's lived out before it can be shared. But you know what? It needs to be shared, so we need to live it out. So we need this unstoppable grace that produces a holiness in our life that we can't produce on our own. Second thing, though, is unstoppable grace also proclaims truth. And that's where we have another misconception about grace. And that is, it doesn't matter what you believe. Everybody's got to find their own way. They've got to find their own truth. But nothing could be further from the truth. Verse 28, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw attention or draw a following. Watch out. You know, Paul's words came true. Timothy, he was a young pastor there at Ephesus. And so when he wrote the letters to that church, he talked about how that false leaders had risen up in that church and were causing great, great division and difficulty. See, the truth is Satan will never take a vacation on attacking the church. Never. And, you know... If he has to, he'll do it from the outside. But we know what happens when persecution comes to the church from the outside, right? It almost always does what? Grow. When the church is persecuted from the outside, it almost always grows. So Satan would much rather persecute the church from the inside. And the way he does that is he gets people inside the church to distort the truth, especially when it comes to grace. And what he does is it's two, two main ways. He tries to either get people to believe that Jesus is not God or that Jesus is just not enough. You got one group over here on this side that they're, they're just being out of shape because of the exclusiveness of grace. Jesus is the only way to God. That's so narrow-minded and judgmental. Come on, I mean, Jesus is a way, but he's not the way. You see, that distorts and diminishes the cross. It says that hell isn't real, that sin isn't a problem, and that Jesus didn't have to die. But they get bent out of shape about that line of thinking. And then the other group over here, they get bent out of shape about the inclusiveness of God. That is, just anybody can get in by saying, you know, I've got Jesus. But then they always want to add the because ofs. I've got Jesus but I've got him because of my morality, the way that I live a good life. I've got Jesus because of the way I do church. I've got Jesus because of the way I do worship. You know, I've got Jesus because of, I've got these extra spiritual disciplines in my life that other people don't have. And Paul would come along and say, the only because of that you need and need to understand is because of the cross. 
It's because of the cross that we have grace. And so it's my job and it's the job of our deacons and all the other leaders here in our church to make sure the church stays strong on who Jesus is. I heard about a lady that came into town and she was brand new. She didn't know anybody, but she wanted to be a part of a church family and she wanted to join a church. So she started visiting around churches. She visited many. Finally, after a while, she made a decision and she joined a particular church. So the pastor asked her, he said, well, what, what made you choose our church over all the other ones that you visited? And she said, well, what I did is I went around as I was visiting churches and I had my notepad with me. And every time the name Jesus was mentioned, I wrote it down. And your church won by 60 Jesuses. Well, I can promise you one thing as your pastor, and that is I'll never waver on who Jesus is. I'll never waver on believing that all scripture is the inerrant word of God. I'll never waver on the fact that the death, the baby is enough. He's all we need. And so in the middle of all this, just as we're getting all fired up about it, he throws in money. Yep, money. He does. Look at it, verse 33. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. In other words, I haven't just told you you need to do it. I've shown you with my own lifestyle that that's what you need to do. And then he says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And it wasn't Santa Claus. Notice. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that. So Paul's teaching here third that unstoppable grace is always going to prompt generosity. You see, most every pastor wants to shy away from talking and preaching about money, right? Because of fear of upsetting or offending someone. But I said, you know, we're going to preach the word of God here at Eastern Heights. And so we've got to preach about money. But we don't do it all the time. Matter of fact, if you're new, the last time I preached about money from right here was on October the 16th, 2020. 23, when we were in Acts chapter 4 and Paul was teaching us about unstoppable generosity. That was the last time I point blank talked about it, okay? And so we don't do it all the time, but today is another time, okay? We just got to do it. It's, it's there. It's right there in Acts chapter 20. And Paul teaches us again that, look, you know, it is impossible to divorce discipleship from stewardship. Matter of fact, the way that you handle your money the way that you give. It's the most tangible expression of your relationship with God than any other. It's not how much you come to church or how much you pray or how much you give. It's how much, or how much you pray and stuff. It's what you're giving. It's what you're giving. That's the most tangible expression. See, grace shows up all over the Bible, but it shows up in two places more than any other place. And it's where Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse, uh, in chapter 9. As well, I'm going to read just a little bit of it. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. They don't have a lot of money to give. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Y'all have done a great job giving, but it's not over yet. There's more to be given. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, 
your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us. I mean, y'all got it going on there. But I want you to also excel in this gracious act of giving. And I'm not commanding you to do this. All people breathe a sigh of relief, right? I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. I'm going to look at your church and how much you're giving and how much the other churches are giving. I'm going to compare it. I'm going to do an Excel spreadsheet and I'm going to come back to you with a report because it's going to tell you how much you love Jesus. I mean, it's right there. Then verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You see, this is not I have to kind of giving. This is not I ought to kind of giving. This is Jesus didn't have to, but he gave himself for me kind of giving. It's one where giving comes from the heart because your heart is possessed by the grace of of the Lord Jesus. And generosity is always going to tell what our theology is, right? A couple years ago, there was a blackout at the Atlanta airport, one of the busiest airports in the world. And on top of that, it was Christmas season. So this blackout happened and thousands of people were stranded. Over 5,000 people were stranded because of flights being canceled. It kind of sounds like another story we've heard in the Bible, right? 5,000 people stranded with no food. Well, guess who came to rescue them? That's right. Chick-fil-A. And even though they're famously known for being closed on Sunday, this blackout happened on the Sabbath. And so Chick-fil-A opened their doors up and hundreds of their employees on their day off came out and prepared and delivered thousands of meals to that airport so that people could be fed. You know why? Because it goes to the core values that they hold, and that is if your life is dedicated to Christ, then you are a generous person. You see, your generosity isn't just motivated by grace. Generosity actually manifests grace. It's through our giving of not only our treasure, but our time and our talents and ultimately the giving of ourselves that we show the world the grace that they need to see. And see, we all have the opportunity to do that this Saturday. And I want to encourage you to come to our work day so that you can give some of your time and your talents to help our kids get back into the children's building. And you know what? Every time we work together, it's always a lot of great fellowship. We have a great time working together for the kingdom of God. It's going to be awesome. So I encourage you to come. And you know what? I realize that some of you are new to Eastern Heights. If you've come in the last 15 months, you didn't even know we were out of the children's building. You didn't even know we had a children's building. You didn't know anything about it, maybe. But January a year ago, it was flooded. And so we had to move out of it. And so we decided while we're out of it, it does need some updating, needs some upgrades. And so we decided to do that. We started this fundraising campaign, which so many have been very generous to give toward. And you can see the arrow keeps the thermometer, the children's building. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe some of you can't give large amounts of money right now. It's just not financially possible for you. 
but you could give of your time and you could give of some of your talents, right? So I'll encourage you to come and be a giver this Saturday. I've never regretted a single dollar I've ever given toward the grace of God. I've never regretted a single minute that I've spent on activities or ministries that show people the grace of God. And many of you would say the exact same thing because you too have been very generous with not only your treasures but your time and your talent. But I can't help but believe today that there are some people here that need to grow in this area of your spiritual walk. Some of you need to begin to give financially. That would be your first step. But I believe there's others listening to me here today that you're giving financially, but you need to grow in this area where you give of yourself and you give your time and some of your talents so that the grace of God can be seen through you by other people. 2 Corinthians 8, 5 says, They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to, and to us just as God wanted them to do. See, their first action was they gave themselves to God. Because when you give yourself to God and you experience the grace that he has for you, everything else will follow. That's how you find that abundant joy we were looking at in that other passage. You know how to spell joy, right? J-O-Y. Just remember Jesus is the J, others is the O, and yourself is the Y. And if you'll put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, you'll find what joy is in life. So what kind of race have you been running? We've just looked at the race that Paul was running. We looked at the grace that he had to have to run it with. So what kind of grace are you running? Because you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. Because the good news is, no matter what kind of race you've been running, you can finish strong. You know why? Take your notes, write this down. It's because of God's grace is stronger than my race. God's grace is stronger than my race. And the best way that I know to give you this takeaway today, to take home with you and do something about in your life, is to show you this video of a 400-meter race from the 1992 Barcelona Olympics. Many of you have seen it, but it's worth seeing again. nine different versions of that video trying to find 
the right one for us today. And every single watch, I cried like a baby sitting there at my desk in the office. I knew what was coming. I cried every single time. Because some of them showed as Derek got up. They showed his father coming out of the stands and there were security trying to stop him because they didn't know who he was. But he would shove them aside. He said, that's my son. And then the cameras would pan the crowd. The race was already over. The gold, silver, and bronze had already been won. But minutes, several minutes after the race was over, people all over the stands began to stand and to give a standing ovation to Derek Redmond. You see, nobody remembers who won the gold in the 400 meter race in 1992. They don't. What they remember, though, is a young man who could not finish the race on his own and a father who could helping finish. I believe we're all running a good race. I believe we're running the only one that matters. But I also believe that we aren't strong enough to finish it on our own. We need help. We need the grace of a loving Father who's already given us everything that we need. So I hope that if it's been a while since you've experience the grace of God that is so unstoppable that it'll flood your heart today. And because of it, you'll become an unstoppable force of life change for the people that are watching you. We have a great Father whose grace is stronger than any race we could win or try to want run on our own. He closes verse 32. And now I entrust you to God in the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Give us the courage and the faith to believe in the grace that you have. Oh God, we've heard it so much in church and in Bible studies and sermons and all that. But Father, people need to not only hear about it, people need to see it. And they need to see it lived out through each one of us. That's our prayer today. May the unstoppable grace that you give us be seen and may it change lives forever. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.